Sunday, July 8, 1855. Got up about nine o'clock, had breakfast and accompanied John Adams, Dungey Mere, John Yorn, and Bill Douglas out of Magpie Gully to assist in erecting their log hut. Engaged all day in getting up the logs and brilliant chimney. Returned after sunset pretty tired and hungry. Supper on cold, rough, and beefsteak or mutton pie. Lee and Miggle writing home, Joe Young and uh, Christy also writing home. Weather very uneven. Occasional showers of rain and glimpses of sunshine today. Welcome to The Diary, a podcast where we read from real diaries written by diverse people across history and into modern times. We're searching for those common threads that connect us. On today's episode, we head to the gold mines of Australia in 1855 to read from a miner's daily diary. The miner, whose name is unknown, describes daily life in Ballarat and the surrounding gold fields, including things like the weather, income, local disagreements, and even entertainment, from the theater to the big city zoo. Now, let's begin. Saturday, July 14th, 1855. Got home to tent where I found a great lark being carried on by our next neighbor, the newly married lady. An old fellow having proposed to ward off with her, she being only married about a fortnight, and to have some sporty, she consented and made up a plan which was that he was to get from her a box containing her husband's gold and money and to start for Melbourne today, she being to follow. The old bloke called and her neighbor and herself, having filled a box with filth, all of all sorts, scented with lavender water, as soon as he came, this was given to him. When she told him that, as all her money was therein, he would require to stump up her passage money by the coach to Melbourne, he did so, giving her three pound, a watch guard, a seal, and a ring. He then went away, seemingly well pleased, but, having smelt a rat, had opened the box and found the mistake and returned to claim back his money. I arrived just as he came up the gully, and when she saw him coming back, she ran into the tent, screaming dreadfully. I went to see what was wrong. When she rushed out, appealed to me for protection, took me into another tent, and told me the whole yarn. The old fellow went without getting back his money or valuables. The good lady produced a bottle of gin, in which we drank to his discomfiture. She was very tipsy. God pity her poor husband. Monday, July 16th, 1855. Had supper and went down to work to the hole. Put down about nine o'clock. Found Jack Tom and the snob there. Sometime after Tobbs Gibson and Jack Walton arrived and we went to work to bail. After bailing for some time, we got the water down to broken buckets and left it to drain. Commenced again and some slabs fell in. Tom Gibson went down and reported the state of matters and sent up a set of slabs. Tom came up, and after some discussion, it was agreed nothing should be done until the day shift would come. 
got home about two hours before daylight. The weather during the day and night was dry and agreeable and the night air very warm. Heard today of a butcher being shot by mistake for another person near the creek last night, a wife and husband affair. The butcher was shot through the heart in his tent, his shadow being taken for that of the intended person who is in the tent lighting his pipe. The murderer got off. Monday, July 30th, 1855. Wakened about sunrise, cough very violent, roused Joe and Harry, who got up, kindled fire, and cooked and dispatched their breakfast. Joe advised me strongly to go and see Dr. Doyle today. He went down to work for me. Got up about nine o'clock, dressed, no appetite. Went along and called on Dr. Doyle, found him in and told him I wished him to prescribe for me. He sat down by the parlor fire and made me strip. Where up, where up, he sounded my bones and told me that although they were good, yet they were exceedingly delicate and that Ballarat Goldfield, with the wet work and night work, was not at all fitted for me. And the sooner I cut my acquaintance with the diggings, the better for me. He gave me a box of ointment with which I was to rub my breast nightly and a bottle of liquid stuff, which I was to take three or four times daily. His fee was 10 shillings and he made me promise to call again when my medicine was done. August 10th, 1855. Joe reports seeing Forbes today and being up at court with him and his case of driving by the Frenchman. He also tells us that while the Bengal tiger kept at the Montezuma was being taken along on a cart in a strong box, the wood thereof being two inches thick, the cart capsized and the box split into two pieces and out sprang the Bengal giant this was just at the foot of Bakery Hill, a little past Co. the Baker's, and opposite Hopkins' store. The tiger sprang into the store and went through the shop into the kitchen, where it found a leg of mutton, which it seized and commenced devouring. The storekeeper was behind the counter at the time and vanished into a box. A large crowd collected round about but Joe did not wait to see how they would manage to take him. All the stores about were shut and people on the tops of buildings round about to see the sport. He is allowed to be the largest sized tiger ever exhibited. And he certainly looked a noble but savage animal in his cage. His howling at nights used to be the signal for parties at their holes answering with yells and howls. Friday, August 17, 1855. Knocked off shortly before sunset and went along to Moses, gold broker, to sell some gold. The cursed Jew tried to cheat me, and when I detected him, he got into a funk and was trying to make me believe I had insulted his feelings. This would not do, as I made him give me back my gold. I sent him to H11 and left the wretch's shop. I returned home and roused out Joe, kindled fire, and put on kettle. Went down to butcher's to get dog's meat. Retired, found Harry home, and drying his gold with Peter to weigh it. They washed 20 tubs today and got, with two nice little nuggets, four and a third ounce. Had ham for supper and after which Joe left for work. The weather today has been first rate and new moon tonight makes a lovely clear evening. Wrote a letter to Mr. White tonight and afterwards turned in. Sunday, September 23rd, 1855. 
Harry told me of a melancholy accident which befell two men yesterday afternoon, one of whom was working for me at our claim on Wednesday last, and his mate was working for Gamble yesterday afternoon. The accident arose from foul air, one of the men having went down the shaft and the air having caught him when, about sixty feet from bottom, he dropped out of the bucket and was killed. This lad, who was working for me the other day, then jumped into the bucket and, and lo saved lower away cheerily boys to see what's up. Poor fellow, he got served out the same way and was awfully smashed. Then a man was lashed to the rope and sent down and pulled up again insensible. So they got on Avengers and went down and shut up the two bodies. Saturday, December 1st, 1855, was awakened about 9 or 10 o'clock by Jack Patterson. A lovely day, sun shining brightly, but oh heaven, my poor head, I am now paying the penalty of my folly, and that smartly, but I must not give into it. So up and got washed and dressed in white ducks and white shirt, Joe and I left to go into Ballarat with Mr. Morrison to find out John Forbes's whereabouts had drink of ginger beer at the White Horse, and felt better a little. Got into Ballarat by the Red Streak, where we beheld the scene of last night's fire. The American Hotel, the Adams Express premises, and a clothing establishment next to it, and all along the Charlie Napier, which God knows had escaped. Several stores on the opposite side of the street had caught and were burned down. Report says 11 lives have been lost. The proprietor, Nichols, was awakened by the noise and left his room. When he got into the lobby, he recollected having left his pocketbook with 90 pounds below his pillow and returned to get it. But his delay cost him his life for he got so severely burned that he died about nine o'clock this morning. It is rumored that there were eight young girls recently arrived from town to accommodate and that six of them were missing. So it is probably the poor things have been burnt. It was a miracle that more damage was not done. The soldiers are keeping watch over the goods. Monday, December 17, 1855. Turned out about seven o'clock, a lovely morning and no signs in the heavens of the late tempest, but early, bear witness. The bowling alley of the Star Hotel was lifted from its position alongside the hotel and landed in the middle of the street. Several other ho small houses were shifted. Midlasses and logs were swept off holes and slab buckets and swept away. We lost 15 slabs and a dirt buckets. I set to work to clean up tent, everything being about three inches thick with mud, I was obliged to lift the bark floor and wash it all. The clothes and tools, in fact, everything in the tent. We then got some tucker and was just preparing to go over and bale the hole when another storm burst and lasted for two hours. But it was more violent than the one yesterday, the hail being as large as marbles. After it cleared up, Jack Patterson and I started off to the Magpie as there was no accommodation for four to sleep in the tent. Afterwards, went and changed my drawers and socks, having got up to the knees on our way out, split some firewood and made a fire, then roused Harry and his friend. They got up, but were not able to get across the creek to go to work, so they came back and had supper, and while partaking of same, our attention was drawn to the sky which presented the most fearful appearance as I ever witnessed. It is great weather entirely. Turned in with Harry and slept soundly. 
hear of several lives being lost out here at Magpie. Thursday, December 20th, 1855. Jamie came in to have a talk with Mr. Lyman and reports McLyman making very favorable overtures to him should he accept the situation. While he was talking to Jim and I, I was making pegs and in looking up at Jamie, when he asked something directed to me for answer, I struck my forefinger of my left hand with the tomahawk and cut it to the bone at the middle joint, very nigh carrying it away. I immediately caught hold of it and closed the cut, but the blood squirted out. Jim Young got a bit of cloth and dipped it in sap and water and bandaged it tightly. It felt painful and does so still, and I am afraid it will fester by its palpitating tonight. our diary entry for today. We hope you've enjoyed it. Please contact us with any questions at email at gmail.com and see the liner notes for more information. Until next time, keep writing. <laughs>